You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. I'm joined by the guys from Pittsburgh Power. Looks like today we've got Bruce and Ethan and Pete, and we'll be taking your calls and answering your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, horsepower, torque, upgrades, modifications, electronics, emissions, troubleshooting, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and ask the question. And we're going to get to those questions in just a little bit. I want to bring the guys in now. Hey, guys, welcome back. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing? Well, thank you for thanks for having great. us, Kevin. As always, it's a pleasure. Yeah, and I, I'm sure you guys have them, some things you want to start with. Uh, before you do... Um, Bruce, any uh, new updates on the hydrogen testing? I know I got some uh, data back from John that didn't look all that great. I'm going to let Ethan answer that question because he was doing the test. Okay. Ethan, what do you got? Yeah, some some of the initial results don't show anything that was anything too much different than with it, but we want to try a few on trucks. We were talking that over. Um, and we're not still completely done yet with all the results. Um, so this okay. is more like the initial results that we have. Well, that's good. And, you know, nobody is going to be able to say at the end of this that we haven't get, given hydrogen a fair chance. Because this is my third major test of a hydrogen system. And, and you guys are doing what you can on the dyno. If we put it on trucks. I mean, if we can't get results out of this, I think I'm just finally done with hydrogen. Kevin, I agree. This will be the last stand, and they are going to travel back from Oregon to our shop. We're going to install one on one of our extremely high mileage trucks and one on another truck that uh, does between five and six miles per gallon. And we're going to run that for the next couple months, and then we'll make the decision. Good, good. Well, like I said, nobody can uh, accuse us of not being thorough. Correct. So what else is uh, new and exciting at Pittsburgh Power these days? Well, I, uh, as you know, Arnold Palmer was a Western Pennsylvania guy and a great golfer and a pretty wonderful person. And I picked up his book the other day. I was actually in a bookstore. That's very, very unusual for me. And I picked up his book and I opened it and the paragraph started at driving i said gee i know he liked to drive his or fly his jet and drive golf balls this is about hitting a golf ball and i used to golf up until i turned 16 and got my first car and once i discovered engines i put the golf clubs away but i want to read two paragraphs and i want people to think about their truck as they hear this and think about if you have a great running truck and you just roll into the throttle and it just picks right up 
and charges into the hill. And it's the same feeling that we get that Arnold had by driving a golf ball. So here we go. There's nothing in golf more spectacular and satisfying to the soul and the senses than a perfectly long and straight drive, a drive that takes off like a jet, pours a straight line up through the clouds, and then finally drops in a long and graceful arc, finding its way to a spot in the fairway, way off in the distance. A long drive is good for the ego. Is it also good for the nerves? It sets you up and puts you in a frame of mind to play the rest of your shots well and it gives you an opportunity to score, to make a birdie or a stress-free par instead of having to grind it out. I've said previously that many people find what other people find in poetry or in art museums, I find in the flight of a good drive. That white ball getting smaller and smaller as it flies off into a blue sky. Such a thing is truly inspirational, at least to me. And I have always felt that way, even as a kid. Now, Kevin, you've driven some of our high-performance engines. You've had one yourself. And you drove that Peterbilt with the power box on. And isn't this kind of the feeling that you get when you roll into the throttle, the same feeling that a golfer gets when he hits that beautiful drive? It is. You know, I, I was just talking to somebody about this over the weekend because they called me and they had a Series 60, D-Deck 3, and I, you know, they were going through all the things they should do. And I said, you know, I, I've owned a lot of Series 60 engines since the early 90s. And I've done everything to that engine we could ever think of for better fuel economy, better performance. We've tried everything and nothing comes close. No single thing you could change comes close to your performance tune. That is, it, it is like a new engine. And, it, you know, people, I, I had a call, people still think of 13 liter engines as small. And yet that 12.7 with that tune is just loaded with horsepower and torque and throttle response. And it's just a beautiful engine to drive when it's tuned that way. And you notice where he said, if you have a good drive, you don't have to grind it out. When you have a poor running truck, what do you do all day? You grind it out. It's hard on the nerves. It makes you feel bad. can bring on road rage. But the guy that has the truck that runs like the thoroughbred, he's got the smile on his face. Every time, not just going up a mountain, but every time he goes up a grade and rolls into that throttle, feels that turbo boost come on, feels that left front fender of that truck wanting to torque up in the air. It, it really is a beautiful thing. And the way he described, you know, driving a golf ball is really similar to the feeling you get driving a well-tuned machine. You know, this, I, this goes back to when I was like six and seven years old and got my first mini bike and learned how to clean and change the jets in the carburetor. You know, it, it's always been that way for me. You're, you're looking for that, you know, that sweet spot for that engine because when you find it, it's just a joy to drive it. You know, it's the same feeling when you have a groomed slope, your skis are waxed, your body's feeling good, and you start down that mountain and you lay those skis over and they arc into that snow, this rush comes through your body and everything feels good 
and it's and baseball players likewise you know when they hit that long drive and they hear that crack that certain crack off that baseball bat but we can relate all that back to an engine to a mechanical thing you know it, anyway that's the, what i had to open with Go yeah ahead. and i'd love that. and, and uh, one more thing on it and then we'll see uh what else we might have and then we'll get to some calls and questions the struggle with this is it's like trying to describe this to somebody who has never experienced it is like trying to describe the color purple if you don't know what purple is if you've never seen it how do you describe it that's kind of the way this is if you haven't driven an engine like this you don't know what we're describing until you experience it yourself that's correct also guys will call and they'll have a 500 horsepower or 430 detroit or a stock caterpillar and they'll say i don't want power i just want fuel mileage well my answer is i have to give you power so that you can get over the mountain and get fuel mileage going down the other side and along the level we make our fuel mileage on the level not going up the mountain so the sooner we get off the mountain the better and so I'll give that person an extra 100 to 150 horsepower. A month later, if I get to talk to them on the phone, I can't believe how good this truck runs. My God, I didn't realize what I was missing my whole life. And you can never take that horsepower away from them. So right. when you're correct, when you don't have it, you don't realize just how wonderful it is and how wonderful it is to drive a vehicle and never push the throttle to the floor. Exactly. Yeah, good stuff. So anything else on the agenda today or we want to get to calls and questions? We have made a change in the shop. We have taken John out of being the shop foreman and made him technical director for future new parts, such as Dorothy. And Interesting. He, uh, is, I think he's at... Uh, West Virginia University today. Am I correct, Pete? He's on his way back. Mm -hmm. Okay. He was. He had a meeting this morning with the Dino people down at the West Virginia University, and we were talking about some different things and uh, comparing our test with their test. So John now is in the office across from me, and Brian Moan, who has been our lead mechanic for the past 31 years, is the new shop foreman as of yesterday. Ah, well, that's exciting. John. All right. Let's, uh, let's get to the break, and then we'll come back. We'll get to more of your calls and questions right after this. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and Ethan and Pete with me from Pittsburgh Power, and we're going to get uh, right to your calls here. Hey, guys, if uh, if you guys have uh, computers in front of you, you can check out the live stream on Facebook. Anybody with me? Oh, we're I'm here. here. <laughs> I will have yeah. to try that. I don't have a Facebook account, though. Ah, Really? That's interesting. Yeah, I'm one of those few people. Um, yeah, anyway. I, I, I get it. I have a Facebook account, and I go back and forth. I go months without getting on because it just sucks up so much time. And then I think, well, it is such a great way to share our content. So now I'm back to doing uh, – we're playing around with some technology and live streaming all of our shows and our recordings. So – We'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. So if anybody wants to check it out, head on over to Facebook. Go to my page. You should be able to see the live stream going on right now. Uh, what do you guys say we get some calls? Let's do it. All right. Let's start off in Washington. John, welcome to the program. You're on with Pittsburgh Power. Well, good morning. Thank you guys for having my call here. You're welcome. My question is, uh, I guess probably be towards you, Kevin. I, I called in a bit ago. I've got that 2016 ISX that I just recently put a, a spinner two oil bypass system on. And I took a sample and you looked at it and it said it was doing really good, but it showed that it had a, it was flagged because of low base. And we talked about how I'm using that T5 Rotella and that seems like it's gonna be kind of the norm. But now the issue that I'm running into is it's a fairly new truck. You know, I've only got like 270,000 miles on it, but it, it started out, you know, I never, I used to change oil every 25,000 miles and it never used a bit of oil. Since I put that spinner on, I've add I put about close to 60,000 miles on it and I've actually had to add two gallons of oil to it. So I'm just let me kind ask, of wondering what let me ask you thoughts about let me ask you a question right there. You have 60,000 miles on the oil? Yes, since I put that spinner on there. Okay. So when you were using a gallon of oil in 25,000 miles, is that when you were doing your oil change? No. No, the whole time I was doing the oil changes, I never had to add any. It hasn't. I haven't had to add any until I've, you know, put that spinner two system on there. Okay. That's so how I've often were you changing? It. How often were you changing the oil before the spinner too? Every twenty-five thousand. Okay, so maybe there's a hidden message there. Now with the spinner too, if you do an oil and filter change, how long can you run before you have to add a gallon? That's well. It's 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 been about about every twenty five thousand because I think before I took that sample and talked to Kevin about that sample, I had about thirty thousand miles on it then, and and I had put a gallon in it just just before I talked to him about that, and then you know I've got another close to twenty five thousand on it. I just added a gallon just the other day. Well, I, did you have you changed the spinner yet? I have not because that sample looks so good. You know, everything else was really great on it. Okay. 
So I what thought, I want you to do. Let's let's make sure the spinner two is hooked up properly. I want you to take it apart and take the canister out that spins that collects the soot and dirt. Sure. And I want you to cut it in two with a hacksaw and see how much dirt you have in there. Okay. Because let's make sure that it's hooked up properly and it's getting oil to it. If you see no okay. dirt in there and no oil, then maybe the spinner two is not hooked up properly. And the reason I'm saying that is I recently installed a bypass filter on a on a V12 Caterpillar, and I swore I had an oil feed line, and I did not. Mm, okay. okay. So I just made that mistake. So I try to keep other people from making the same mistakes I've made in life. Yeah, right. So. Okay. Well, yeah, I will okay. take that apart and take a look at it then. Yeah, or you can take the feed line feed line off, put it in a a jar, have somebody uh, a gallon jar, have somebody start it and shut it right back off, and you'll make sure you have oil pressure. But then you've got to make sure your return is going into an oil uh, a place where oil can get back to the oil pan. Yeah, Bruce. I okay. you know I don't. That I would be concerned about a gallon every 25,000 miles, especially with drain intervals. As long as he's sampling and we're watching the oil quality, you know, 25,000 miles. And I know some of the new diesel engines were going 40 and 50,000 miles without using a gallon. But honestly, with extended drains, I don't mind an engine that burns a little because as we replace the oil, we freshen it up and replace the additive package in the base anyway. I agree with that. I agree with that. So, all right, let's head off to. Still, let's make sure that this. Let's make sure the spinner two is hooked up properly. Yeah, good point. We're going to head off to Michigan, Todd. It's your turn. Welcome to the program. How you guys doing? I appreciate you taking my call. I got two questions for you. Um, I've got an 06 Volvo. It's got an 05 Cummins ISX. Um, it was it came stock at 530 horse. Um, I bought this truck for my company. It's and it's spec to haul heavy. We hauled. Um, well, I quit. I sold my trailers. I was hauling doubles in Michigan, so I'm going down the road 160,000 pounds every day. I was. Now I'm running the road with a spread. Anyway, I had this motor in framed. Deleted the EGR. Um, didn't put any hot codes or nothing in it. They just put updated uh, codes and, and whatnot in the ECM there. And um, it did, uh, out the door, it did 604 at the drives, um, which I'm very happy with. And But now I'm running the road. It's got 390 rears. It has very large rear uh, axles, and it. it has DS462s uh, because it was spec heavy. Um, so the best that I can do is I can switch these 390s to 355s to try and get better fuel mileage. Um, I can get a little over five running about 65 mile an hour. I've got a big 13 in here on 22.5 stand-up rubber. Um, I'm wondering, and the reason I rebuilt it, I was going to pull this motor out, put it in a glider, and I hence uh, changed my mind because I think down the road, I think I might just run into problems with it and and as far as emission stuff and so i spec'd out a new truck and that's my second question here in a minute but um 
is there much do you think that I, because of the way this truck is set up, that I can do to get even more fuel mileage? I mean, change, I mean, is it, it's going to be about $6,000 just for the pigs to switch them to 355s. And I'm wondering if it's even going to be worth it um, to spend the money to switch those out. Why don't you call Western Truck Parts in Henderson, Colorado, and just buy a cutoff and get the whole differential, one uh, a 40,000-pound rear set of rears that's compatible with 264s and do it that way and just change the axles. Okay, well, that was why. I mean, it's got um, 46,000-pound rears under it now, so it's got these uh, right. rake or new white suspension with the big arms and stuff on it. Um I had thought about that, but the one thing, I'm not terribly in love with this truck. The only thing that the reason I put the brakes on my new truck is with the e-logs coming, and this truck's paid for, and I don't know if I'm ready to get into that till I see what's going to happen with the e-logs. Um, so I don't know how much money I want to put into this thing. Um, I mean, the truck runs great, It just and everything's almost new on it. It just, you know, it's a Volvo, well, and it doesn't look pretty, <laughs> you know. I'll jump in there. All right. So, if, you, if you're not in love with that, if you're not in love with that truck, then I wouldn't spend a lot of money on it. With the 390 okay. rears, you're just going to have to drive slower. Do you have tall 24 tires on? No, that? I'm on. No, I'm on tall 22s. Tall 22s. And, uh, yeah. And if like I said, 24, like I found like. Go ahead. If you put the if you put the tall twenty four five on, that would take that three ninety and uh, let's let me just think of something here. That should put you down around a three fifty five ratio with the twenty four five tall tire. The problem oh, it would there, drop Bruce, it that much. Well, yeah. let me jump in. The problem we see there, Bruce, is the tall tire ends up adding so much rolling resistance. The tall sidewall flexes a lot more that we at best we end up even and many times we lose fuel economy the other problem in today's oh, world okay. no nobody wants tall 24 fives so you go to replace tires you no. get nothing from the casings so overall yeah. i i think bruce is right drive slower with the 390s i wouldn't spend all no. that money on axles uh i would maybe spend some money on fuel economy and i'll talk about what i would do when we get back stick around we'll be right back with more stuff i'm kevin rutherford this is the power hour Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. It's, this is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and Ethan and Pete with me from Pittsburgh Power. We're talking with Todd in Michigan. Um, you know, Bruce, what one of the things I tell people all the time, 
I'm not a big fan of changing rear end ratios unless we're just way off or we've done everything else we can and we still want more fuel economy because let's just say even if we go find you know used axles this is going to still cost us somewhere between four and six grand and if somebody pulled into your shop and said i've got four thousand dollars in my pocket and i want the best fuel economy i can get you guys could do far more with that four thousand dollars than we'd ever do with axles Bruce? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, if I brought it out to you guys, I mean, what, is it, do you think there's much more that you could, I mean, um, as far as with the gearing and everything that's in it, I mean, is there anything you can to, to do any, I mean, we haven't done anything with it. Um, I mean, I've been, yes, I mean, I figured this is probably about the best I'm going to get with the way this thing's set up. Do you have the fast fuel system on it? No, that, see, I haven't done any of that because I, like I said, I spec'd out a glider and I wasn't going to do that. And I've started to think about, well, because I'm not sure now when I want to buy that truck. And um, so I started thinking maybe I need to start putting, you know, try putting some of this stuff on to get a little bit more, you know, out of this thing. I mean, like I said, the sweet spot's about 65 mile an hour on here. And uh, 65, what's, what's your RPM at 65? Uh, just right about 15, 15 and a quarter. Well, that's livable. All right. Yeah. Do you have uh, our Do you have our full tilt manifold on there? No, I've got a ceramic manifold on here that the guys I had my truck rebuilt in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I motor, and they put a ceramic. Um, it's got I don't remember what brand they told me I put on here, but they've got a ceramic manifold on here and um, different turbo, obviously, because the EGR is all gone and all that. But, uh, I mean, I'm, you know, as far as perform, I mean, they said they can tweak this thing to run with any yellow motor that's out on the road, but they'd be hesitant to do it unless I got a pocket of money in case it decides to take a dump and then I got to fix it. But well, I'm just now that I'm running the road with it. Making? What's that? I'm sorry. How many, of, how many pound of boost can you develop pulling a mountain? Um, when I'm pulling this thing hard, it'll, it'll shoot right up to 40. It'll bury my gauge. Huh? If you have 600 to the ground, what's that give Ethan's that giving them about seven and a quarter flywheel? Just about. Yeah, they said it's about seven, seven and a quarter, seven and a half at the flywheel. Okay, well, that's plenty of horsepower. Yeah. So. Yeah, like I said, I mean, you know, I, you know, I come out. The only thing left to do, do you have what kind of muffler do you have on it? Bruce, I don't think he's got uh, really any of the modifications, and that's kind of where I was going. He he doesn't have to spend a ton of money on this to start improving fuel economy. And what I would do is start cheap, muffler, fleet air filters, um, some of the aerodynamic, and and some of these things might transfer over to his new truck. If he buys a flow below and air tabs, we can transfer them to the new truck. If he gets a fast, right, uh, we can transfer it to the new truck. So. I would say take your money and start with the less expensive items. And once you've got a timeline on when you're going to get the new truck, then it's just a matter of calculating return on investment. And if 65 is 1500, uh, bring it down to 63 mile an hour for a day or two, and then take it down to 60, yeah. 61 and hold it there on the level and see what the fuel mileage. And then 
run it at 65 when you're in the rolling hills. Yeah, I, I wouldn't change gears, and that was kind of his question. I, I don't think that's worth it at this point. He has so many other things he okay. could invest in. Let's go to Virginia. Les, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Okay, my beautiful wife is listening in on this, so I have a two-part question. I need y'all to play referee on me. For uh, It's about whether there comes a turning point that you put so much money into a truck, you might as well go ahead and finish out the lease purchase on it or dump it and go buy one. On the mechanical side, which I need from Bruce and, your, and you guys, is the truck I'm in has 770,000 miles on it. It's a DD-15 Cascadia. So I'm thinking, you know, possibility of transmission in the next 250,000 miles. Don't know. Wait, wait. Hold, how, hold, hold on. Hold on a second. Did you say it had 700 and some thousand? 770,000. 100,000. Yeah, yes, sir. I if the truck's been taken care of and driven property properly, I wouldn't even be thinking transmission. Most transmissions last to 1.5. I've seen lots of them go to 2 million. So I, I wouldn't be okay. thinking transmission. Okay. Uh, but what about other systems like the turbo system? I think Club me, has about 400. Go ahead. Jump in with how I would calculate your decision, and then I'll let these guys jump in on, you know, what kind of things you might be looking at maintenance-wise. There's really an easy way to do this. If you're in a lease purchase, um, setting aside the fact that I don't think you should be in one at all, but if you are, the way to determine whether or not you should finish it out or go buy another truck is actually pretty simple. Let's take your truck today. And do you know what it would cost you if you wanted to go to the carrier and say, I want to own this truck today? How much do I have to pay you? Uh, if I was to buy out the lease today, it would be about $32,000, I think. So here's all you do. You take your specs and you go into truckpaper.com and you do a detailed search so you can put in year, make, model, engine, transmission, mileage, condition all of those things, and then you see what is the average price for this truck on the open market today. If the average price on that truck is 45000 and you could buy yours for thirty-two out of the lease, then I'd buy it, as long as we determine it's mechanically sound and those kind of things. But if the average price is twenty-five, why would I give them thirty-two for the same truck? So that the first part of the equation is pretty simple. Go do some homework. Find out if your buyout is a reasonable price or not. And honestly, if I am in the truck leasing it and I know it and I'm happy with it, I would even add, say, a 10% premium. So if the average truck on the road is going for 30, I'd add at least a three to $5,000 premium because I'd rather keep a truck that I already know than take a chance on a truck I don't know. Does that all make sense? Okay. Very much, very much. Okay. And then I'll let these guys talk about the mechanical side of it. Okay. okay when you say turbocharger and transmission, uh, you know, everything has a life to it. And when once you leave 800,000 miles, yeah, you may have to put a set of injectors, might have to put a turbo on it. But if 
uh, your truck's not paid for. If the truck's paid for, it's still cheaper to make those repairs and keep the truck if you're happy with the truck. So I don't have a problem with buying parts for a vehicle so long as I like the vehicle. Okay. Okay. I was just, you know, I still, I still have a year from September before I would be able to finish out, finish out the lease. And, uh, you know, I just had the $14,000 high pressure fuel pump go out on me and I'm just worried about another catastrophic failure like that again. Do you set aside 10 cents a mile for a maintenance account? I try and set aside as much as I can. The company sets aside 200 every week, and I set aside more than that. Uh, okay. I think I'm sitting on 5,600 okay. right now on savings. So, yeah. yeah. If you have a maintenance account and it, it uh, you need parts, that's what the maintenance account is for. Yeah, and I, I recently I would, had to put a. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just going to say I I think he's overthinking some of these catastrophic failures. I I wouldn't predict any of those, but you're right. We're going to replace parts. Things are going to break. Things are going to wear out, and and that's just part of owning the equipment. But I'd, I'd much rather have a $30,000 truck that I need to put some parts into than go spend another 150000 on a truck that's still going to need parts and service. And so I think at this point, keeping it um, would be a better idea, but go ahead and do those numbers and make sure buying it out is really worth it. Let's head off to Arizona. Chad, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. What can we help you with today? Uh, I have a seriously bad vibration in my truck over 65 mile an hour. My first thought was tire balance, so I got that rebalanced on the steers. And then I thought it was shock, so I replaced them. None of those helped, so I took it to uh, International. I have a 06 International 9400 ISX Cummings. Um, and I'm running, I, they told me it was, they thought it was the engine actuators. So they replaced two of them, and that did not Hold help at all. All right. Hold that thought, and we will come right back to that, and we'll try to talk about how best to troubleshoot this. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Power Hour. I've got the team from Pittsburgh Power with me. I'm Kevin Rothenberg. All right, so a quick heads up, we're heading into the fourth segment of this first hour, and then we'll come back and we're going to do a second hour. I'm looking at the calls and questions. We have a lot of calls on the line, but there's room for questions in the second hour. So we are either going to just go till we run out of questions or we'll do another full hour depending on what happens first. But if you want to jump in with a question, a comment, a topic, now would be your chance. Press one on your phone. And if you do that quick enough, we'll get to you in the second hour, I promise. Here we go.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and Pete and Ethan with me here from Pittsburgh Power, and we're talking with Chad in Arizona. Chad, real quick, before the, the shop decided that they should be replacing actuators, what kind of questions did they ask you about this vibration? Uh, they asked me, like, if it was more, uh, like, fully loaded or if it was empty or you know, when done it the most, and it does it all the time, uh, loaded, empty, off tail, doesn't matter. Well, and that it, was here, about it, the only questions I asked. Anytime we suspect the engine is the vibration problem, the quick troubleshooting test there is just drop the truck in neutral, you know, at 70 miles an hour when it's vibrating. And if you put it neutral and the engine idles down and the vibration doesn't change, it's a pretty good chance not engine. Okay. I, I know I've pushed in the clutch at the one that's doing the vibration and it doesn't change. Okay. Can I add, ask you two questions? How many miles are on the truck? Uh, I just hit a 1.4 million. 1.4 million. How many torsional dampers have you put on the crankshaft? Uh, I've put on three different ones okay what so it's got a really? new torsional damper on the crank on the front of the crank yes have you taken the drive shaft out and had it rebuilt balanced and straightened I have not done that but i did replace the u-joints and the uh, uh carrier bearing and that did help yeah. for yeah. about a week i'd suggest you take the drive shaft to to a good drive shaft shop, have it okay. straightened and balanced. And okay. so if you say that helped for a week, maybe you wiped out the carrier bearing again in that week. But I think so, it's your drive shaft. Bruce and Kevin, this yes. is one of those problems that the dyno tends to solve very well because you can run the truck up until it starts to do it, and then you can see what's what's causing the vibration. Great idea. Uh, we, I know, I know. Don has laid underneath trucks running on the dyno, which I really don't want him to do. But Ethan, has he found uh, drive shafts to be shaking while it's oh, we, running on the dyno? Oh yeah, if you can see them from the side, you can watch them. Um, you can also. We just had one of our good customers, uh, Bob Peeney, in here, and we ran his truck on the dyno because he was complaining of a vibration after a certain, you know, speed. And we actually found that the bushings that connect to the uh, the axles to them in, on the suspension were falling out. And you'd see it clear as day once you get it up to speed and you have the uh, the fifth wheel press pushing down on it. Yeah, there that's a go. great idea. A, a, another quick check that I would recommend, Chad, is to check the radial runout on all the tires. And it's fairly simple. You can buy a good radial runout gauge yourself for less than 200 bucks, And it's a great tool to have. And then just jack up each wheel position and check the radial runout. Because balance is one thing. And they don't always get balance right on the spin balance machines. That's why I like the... Um, the balance products we like counteract, but balance, you can have a tire in balance perfectly, but if it's out of round, you're still going to get that vibration. And this is such a simple check that 
It makes me crazy that shops won't do this. It takes less than an hour to check every wheel position. And if you have a wheel that's more than 60 thousandths out of round, could be the tire, could be the way the tire's mounted, could be the rim, could be slop in, especially with 1.5 million miles, those rims and the, the pilots are worn out. So that will cause the wheel to drop when you mount it. And now it's out of round, could be perfectly balanced. It's not going to matter. You're going to get that vibration. So I would take an hour and check radial runout on, on all the positions. Okay. Kevin, you said 60,000s. 60,000. If, if you get a wheel, a, a good rim and a good tire, if you can get the radial run out under 60,000, you almost don't need to balance it. I'm going to give you a quick story. When I bought my Dodge Cummins new in 95, I had this vibration. And I called Troy Simonson, who was the head engineer of Dodge Trucks, and we talked. And he said, take your tires off, put a dial indicator on the wheels and turn them while the wheel's on the truck. And tell me if you're 80,000 side around. He picked 80,000. I called him back. I said, yes, I'm 80,000 side. He said, I'm going to send you four new wheels. Don't mount the tires on them. Put them on, and these are steel stamped wheels. Put the wheels on the truck. Put the dial indicator on. I called him back. I said, still 80,000. He said, go buy a set of aluminum mag wheels and put on the truck. Vibration will be gone. And that's Absolutely. what I did, and that's how I got rid of the vibration. We actually recommend if you have steel rims to do exactly what you described. Check the rim before you even mount the tire and check the whole assembly on the truck. I kind of skip over that step. Our, our aluminum rims tend to be so true that we hardly ever find a problem with an aluminum rim. So, you know, if, if we do find that the whole assembly is more than 60 thousandths out, then we start looking at why. Was the tire mounted right? Is there too much slack in the studs? Or do, could you possibly have a bad rim? It does happen. But hit, hit 60 thousandths, 80 thousandths, you're right there. If you get in that range, you're not going to have a vibration. And a lot of times we find it's not really necessary to balance the wheel if you get it right. I, I just like throwing the counteract in because it just smooths everything out and it's, you know, it's a dynamic. If something happens, it'll compensate for it. Let's uh, we were going down a hot. Okay. Go ahead. I had the family in the 95 Dodge and we're going on vacation and I was trying to ignore this problem. Uh, Chrysler told me to take the Goodyear Wrangler tires off and put Michelin's on, and that helped that vibration. But we're going down a perfectly smooth, brand-new asphalt highway, and my daughter was five years old at the time, and she said, Daddy, why is this seat going up and down? <laughs> That's when I knew I had to get rid of those steel wheels. Yeah. And if you think yeah. of an aluminum wheel, it's cut on a lathe. So it's true. A steel wheel has been around a hub and then it's welded. So it's a steel wheel is not a true circle. Yeah. And they bend and they warp. So we do see that with steel wheels. With aluminum, not so much. They're usually pretty true. Let's head off to California. Tad, welcome to the program. Yeah. I'm in California, all right. This sucks, but what are you going to do, right? 
Hey, I, I'm calling because, uh, yeah, go ahead and laugh. Bruce, I want my torque and I want my horsepower because I'm not going to crawl up these hills. Well, John says he ain't got the program, uh, he ain't got the program developed yet, but that's not why I called. I talked to John yesterday, I'm trying to find out because he wants to put the hydrogen thing on my truck. And I want to know, wh- what is that all about? Oh, this is Tad with the first uh, Dorothy, right? With the first foot yes, separator. Sir. It's the one who knows how to drive his truck, brother. <laughs> <laughs> and John wants to put the hydrogen on your truck because of uh, you're one of the highest in the fuel mileage and the truck's relatively stock. And so that's why he wants to try the hydrogen on there. And I'll let Kevin tell you more about this particular hydrogen unit. Yeah, this this one um, supposedly kind of new technology to develop more hydrogen, less power. And, you know, that's why we decided to go back and try testing again, because I I can't seem to give up on hydrogen, but so far I just haven't seen the results. What we're talking about, Tad, is just a unit that's on there. It's going to convert water to hydrogen. It's going to inject the hydrogen into the intake, and we're supposed to get better fuel economy and cleaner emissions and all kinds of benefits, but I just haven't seen them yet. So I think your truck is a great uh, test truck for this. Uh, just like Bruce said, it's very high fuel mileage. It doesn't have a lot of modifications. We've tracked every bit of fuel mileage from the beginning on this one. We've seen all the increases. So this is a great time to see, could hydrogen help a truck that we're already pushing really high fuel mileage out of? And then I like the idea of putting it on a truck that's getting really lousy fuel economy. And let's see if it helps either or both or neither. Um, And that'll give us good information. So, um, Bruce, we are just about out of time for this episode. Ethan, Pete, anything you guys want to close with? No, but yes, I will. I'll say now that we have John working on product development, uh, there's some wiring harness issues on some some of the newer trucks with the way the wiring harness lays and runs to the DPF unit, so that's another new item. But he should have more time now to work with Ethan on getting some programs such as for these DD-15s. Excellent. Great stuff. Thanks to the team from Pittsburgh Power, Bruce and Ethan and Pete, and we'll come back and do it again real soon. Thanks for joining us. This is the Power Hour. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, everybody, we're going to start the second hour. I'll tell you right now, if you jump in and press one on your phone, we will be able to get to you. We're either going to record a full hour or until we run out of questions. So today's your chance. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, go ahead and press one and we'll get to you. Here we go. (laughs) 
Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. Joining me from Pittsburgh Power, I've got Bruce and Ethan and Pete. We're going to take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, fuel mileage, performance, horsepower, torque, upgrades, modifications, electronics, emissions, troubleshooting, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call us. We're going to get to those calls in just a little bit. I want to bring the guys on with me. Bruce, Ethan, Pete, welcome back. Thank you. Hey, uh, Ethan, Pete, Bruce, all three of you guys, you do a lot of troubleshooting. And, you know, that that I think is the single most critical skill for a really good mechanic or a shop. Um, and the more complicated and, and you know, confusing these engines and electronics get, I think having that skill is important. And I bring this up because on the last show, we had a guy who had a vibration. Um, on the surface, based on what he was saying, it, it looked like the vibration was really driveline related. And yet we had a shop that were that started replacing actuators in the engine. And it seems to me like one of the most basic skills of troubleshooting is being able to ask good questions. Now, maybe I'm wrong on this, but it seems to me like if we thought this was actuators, they're just a couple simple, basic questions you could ask to eliminate that. I'm, I'm going to let Ethan answer that question. But first, I want to say something about an engine causing a vibration. If the engine vibration is because of fuel, now, if you can get you can get air in fuel and it'll cause a vibration. But back in the big cam one days, whenever we had cam follower issues, we had top stop injector issues. We had a guy, uh, we couldn't get his truck in, broke a cam follower. We let the truck run on five cylinders. I'm trying to think of how we kept the fuel from flowing into that injector, but. He basically took a load of steel to Chicago and back on five cylinders. And I said to him, how was it? He said, it's only done three to four pound of turbo boost. No vibrations. So there, one cylinder completely dead. So I overlook injectors most of the time because of that. And always think of something that's rotating. Now, if you just build an engine and you don't balance the rods and balance the pistons, yes, you can build a vibrator. If you have a spring going out of your clutch disc and that that's knocked out of there because of the torsional damper, you can have a vibration. But Ethan will tell you how we check on the ISX, the fuel solenoids and the timing solenoids. Yeah, on, on the ISXs there, they have that interesting, what they like to call it the ISFM, um, where it uses the me fueling and timing metering solenoids to control the injectors. But yeah, there is a, there's a process. Um, normally, though, when you first start off, the engine's going to run rough all the time because uh, that solenoid's pulsing many times a second to in order to inject the fuel properly. 
but in just not even in that, just general diagnostics. Um, it's almost like you're playing detective. You always got to start with asking the right questions and then go from there. And then again, in his case, it was always the vibration only happens over a certain speed. So obviously it's, it's speed related, not engine related, because in this case, the engine, if it's above, let's say, 1600 RPM, it'll do it in every gear. Or at idle, right? Not at idle, but sitting yes. still. I mean, if we bring yeah, it up, just to rev sit it up. Yeah, exactly. So it, it kind of makes me crazy when shops do this. You think about the cost involved, the downtime involved, when without even asking any questions, if you just would have listened to the way the guy was describing the vibration, you wouldn't be thinking engine. And one other thing I see all the time, too, is people like to put two problems into one, where they'll say that my truck has this problem, but it's really two or three separate issues combining to make the, the big issue. Good point. Can you yeah. give us a for instance? Oh, I've had so many of them, I can't even think of it there. <laughs> you think yeah. about it for a while and then come back on and tell us. Because that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, let me just throw one off the top of my head. The guy would call and say, you know, I've got this vibration. It happens over 65 miles an hour. And my fuel economy dropped a half mile per gallon. Well, in my mind, when I hear those two things, I don't put them together. There are very few things, almost nothing, that would cause that vibration above that speed and affect fuel economy. I immediately think of those as two different problems, yet if you think of them together, you're gonna have a harder time troubleshooting. It's that kind of what, along the lines of what you're thinking, Ethan? Yeah, because you can end up going down the wrong path then. Right, right. Yeah, so it, the yeah. other thing you said, you have, to, you have to think like a detective, which is exactly right, and I always start with when this happens, what is the most likely reason? And let's start there and let's work towards that reason until we can eliminate it or prove it. One of the two. You know, there's an old saying that the first time I heard it, I didn't really get it, but it applies here. That is when you hear hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras. You know, if you hear hoofbeats, in this country, the odds are it's gonna be a horse, not a zebra. So when we have a problem and we're trying to troubleshoot it, don't think of the most odd exotic reason that it could happen like this one, actuators. I, that seems like such an odd place to start when there are so many more common things that could have caused this problem. Kevin, that's why I always go back to that drive shaft. My 89 yeah. Dodge, my 95 Dodge, both were right around that 200,000 mile mark. Um, I one time towed a loaded tanker a mile into our shop with the 89 Dodge. I had to keep it in first gear or the wheel hop was just uncontrollable. But it was shortly after that, drive shaft was bent. The 95 Dodge was never abused. And when I took that drive shaft into Western Truck Parts in Henderson, Colorado, I said, how long should a drive shaft last on a semi truck? And without hesitating, he said 500,000 miles. So nobody takes a drive shaft out of a half a million 
and takes and gets it done. But when people do it like at 800 or 900, a lot of times they'll call me and say, I can't believe how much smoother this truck is. And on my T600 Kenworth that you drove, all of a sudden I developed the vibration and we were going into the drive shaft and it was the yoke on the differential. Yeah, so those things hey, need to be addressed. Yeah, and, and those are the more common reasons. So that's where I think we should always start troubleshooting a problem. What's the most common cause of this? And let's work the we to prove that is the case or eliminate it, then move to the next most common thing. So uh, it, it's just, a, it seems to me like it's a lost skill these days that it's really hard to find people that are good at troubleshooting. And, be, and if they're not, they just waste everybody's time and money. Well, because the computer's not going to tell you, the laptop's not going to tell you what the vibration is. No, you know, it's there like was, finding... a, I, I remember this about 10 years ago, there, they were making a big deal in the industry about this machine. You attached all these sensors to the truck and you took it out and drove it. And it was supposed to diagnose where the vibration was coming from. And it was fairly expensive and it, there was quite a bit of setup time. And then you had to take it out and drive it. And it flopped. I mean, it, it just wasn't all that great. This is still a human skill that, you know, requires you to understand how to troubleshoot properly. So all right. bring it to our dyno, put it on the dyno. And, you know, with the Dragon, we can weight the flywheel. We can put 25, 30,000 pounds on that fly, or not on the flywheel, on the fifth wheel. And then you watch for the components and see which one's shaking, like Ethan said yeah. the last show. That, that's such a great idea. I agree. Let's head off to Texas. Robert, welcome to the program. Hey, how y'all doing? Good. What's on your mind? We're coming up on a break. I'll let you get started, and we'll carry you through. Okay. Well, mine actually is similar to the other guys, but I've come through everything I can think of. It's, uh, it's vibrating and, and it's shaking. I'm trying to understand the whole you know, freight shaker notion now. Uh, All right. Let's do this. The music's playing. We will come back, and Ethan, Pete, Bruce, and I are going to play Sherlock Holmes. We'll ask you some questions and see if we can figure out which direction to head in on this one. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're going to get right back to the calls. We were talking about Robert in Texas. Robert, I'm going to ask my two favorite troubleshooting questions when it comes to vibration okay. and shakes. 
going to let these guys jump in and do theirs. The first two questions I always ask is, tell me when it happens and tell me when it doesn't happen. Um, the vibration itself happens usually between 45 and 65. And it only happens when I'm accelerating or when running down the road. Mainly when accelerating. So okay. if you're coasting along the level, you have no vibration? Um, not, not normally, no. Okay, what or kind of truck, what year? What kind of truck, what year, and how many? Okay. Which engine? Uh, the 12.7. 12.7 and an 05. Yes. Is this a glider? Yes. Okay, did you have it built or did you build it? No, I bought it from a company that, that buys nothing but gliders. Okay, was was this vibration there from the time you bought the truck? Um, no, it just started recently. Okay, so we know it's not drive line, drive line angle. Have you put a new torsional damper on the crank? No, I didn't even know those existed. I just heard about that today, literally. Oh, you can You must not be listening to our show or reading my articles. Um, I try to when I get a chance, but that's okay. honestly very. Give our shop a call and and order the larger torsional damper, and mm -hmm. get the mercury filled engine balancer to go along with that, and get that on there. And being this is an 05, it has over a half a million miles. You might want to look at that drive shaft. Um, the drive shaft has actually been replaced. Uh, actually, I blew the drive shaft apart uh, toward and half about two months ago and had it replaced. They had to build it. <laughs> that was how, did, how did you do How did that get tore apart? I was, uh, I was at a stoplight and I was trying to. Uh, the, the light turned green and I started accelerating with a heavy load behind me and the thing just twisted in half. Wow. And How I, long I have you been that. an owner-operator? How long uh, have you been an owner-operator? Four years? Okay. Yes. I've had Were you a company driver before? Uh, yeah, for about six years before I started to buy a truck. Okay. You don't try to keep up with the four-wheelers when you're starting out from a dead stop, do you? Oh, no. No. Okay. All right. I've got a four-wheeler for that. <laughs> as, as an owner-operator, are you more gentle on acceleration than you were as a company driver? About the same, but I've always treated uh, vehicles with respect. Okay. Well, I watch some company drivers start out, and it's hard for me to believe the piece of equipment can take that kind of abuse. So, oh, I know. I've seen some company drivers that drive like they're NASCAR drivers. I'm like, are you serious? Yeah. These, cars, these trucks aren't meant for that. But I take very good care of equipment. I always have. Okay. That's why it's That's kind of good. confusing why all of a sudden I'm having all these problems. I mean, I got that, but I got, I think I got a tire or something wrong with one of my tires or something, too, because it shakes like crazy as well. Like when I'm, if I'm driving down the road and I have to make a, you know, if I have to make a course correction a little bit, this run-out gauge, Kevin, that you mentioned, uh, is that what it's called, a tire run-out gauge? 
Yeah, well, I, that's the purpose we use it for, but it's really just a, uh, you know, a dial indicator. You know, we, we take the needle, put it right against the tread of the tire, spin the tire. So I, I, you can use it for all kinds of things, but we use it for either radial runout, which is where we see most problems. But if we get a side-to-side shake on a vehicle, we get once in a while, we can also put it against the sidewall of the tire and spin it, and we can check lateral runout as well. I think maybe this had like a wheel and a dial indicator on one end, the wheel, steel wheel, rolled against the tire because what do you do if you have tread that goes across? The dial indicator is going to fall into it. You can't use it like on a knobby tire. Correct. Yeah, so it, it it there there are several of them on the market. Actually, one of the companies we really like to work with, True Balance, um, they sell a really nice setup for less than two hundred bucks. It's on a stand, got all the parts you need for using it against a tire. Um, so yeah, that that's really what we just want something to stay against the tread, and at one full revolution, then we can see the furthest out we were and again if you can stay under 60 thousandths out of round then you know that's not causing the vibration if you're under 60 thousandths it's, it's not the wheel or the tire causing the problem hey pete make a note to call true balance and order one of those for us okay i like I that. that i like yeah that idea. It, just a great first check. It's easy, doesn't take very long, and you'd be surprised how many times. And Bruce, you're familiar with True Balance, the product. They they make the sleeves where you put the three right, sleeves no, well. yeah, over the lugs so that, you know, these older high-mileage trucks get a lot of play. And when you go to mount the wheel, it drops just a little bit. Then you tighten it down, and now you've got a wheel that's out of round. And it can be balanced right. perfectly. You're still going to get a bounce. What's the guy's name that has the hot rods that we see at the shows with the red hair? What's his first name? Uh, I'm not sure who you're talking about. From oh, True Balance? From, oh, Ron. 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 Okay. Give him yeah. a call, Pete, and get one of those machines on its way in. Okay. Yeah. Get one order. Great. All right, let's head off to Arkansas. Paul, welcome to the program. Oh, don't crappy signal. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. You must be on Verizon. No, I can't see. Ah, well, we'll try anyway. Go ahead. Uh, I know why that, why that mechanic changed the actuators on the other guy of trucks because he had them and it's an easy job, and he thought, well, I'll, I'll change something. Money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree sometimes. Yeah. What's the difference between the ISX and the new X15 Cummins? Is it the same engine or is it totally different or what? It, it's basically, nah, it's still. Still the ISX, they've made some ch- changes to the after-treatment system. Um, from what I've read, they did away with the 7th injector, and they now just use the injection cycle at the end to pulse more fuel in to, to burn, do the burns on the DPF. So they've eliminated a few parts on the uh, 
the after treatment system. So it's still a soot producer, probably. It's still the same. I, the block itself, I believe, is still the same. Okay. I was just curious. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll change manufacturer the next truck I get. I might buy a diesel. Who knows? Okay. Yeah, I'll just have to. All right. Well, there that's you go. That was the. That's all I got. Yeah. Well, that's all we need. Ethan, I'm glad you jumped in with the real explanation because I was going to say the only <laughs> difference is they dropped the I and the S, but obviously there's a little more than that. <laughs> yeah, they changed a few things around. Okay, good, good. Well, that's why I have you guys here to do all the heavy lifting. <laughs> all right, let's, uh, let's head off to Iowa. Rod, welcome to the program. Hi. Hey, uh... How you doing, guys? That's great to hear you. The show, man. You guys always got good stuff. I got a. Uh, I want to know about my transmission. I I want to understand it a little more. And I'm going to shoot you a model number here. It's a Fuller Eaton, and uh, the model number is RTOC one six nine zero nine A, and it's a thirteen speed. And I'd like to know. I'm assuming it's a single overdrive. Is that correct? What year is the transmission? Uh, 2011. It's in a Cascadia uh, Freightliner behind a uh, DD-15. I got what 342s. 342s. Has to be a double over. Has to be a double most, over. Yeah, most 13-speed right? transmissions are double overs. They're rarely yeah. a single yeah, and if you do have a single, you're going to see gear ratios more like 308 to match with a single overdrive. So anytime you see oh, gotcha. three, 336 and above, it, it's odds are 99% it's going to be a double overdrive. Now, I think All the right, transcribing, gotta... though, is a convertible. So it could have been born as a nine-speed but eventually converted it to it. Okay. Yeah, that, that is one of the convertible models. We'll uh, we'll get to a break. We'll come right back. We'll talk more about that right after this. Stick around. This is the Power Hour. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and Pete Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power. Right now we're talking with Rod in Iowa. So if you know the Eaton 
model number, you can tell a lot. The O in there means it's an overdrive because it was a 16909. We know it's a nine speed originally, but now that it's a 13, it was converted. Uh, but that is a double overdrive. So your first overdrive, um, 12th gear is 0.85, and then 13th gear is 0.74. So 11th is one, which is your direct gear. Let me okay. add one other thing. Let me add one other thing to this equation. Whenever we came out with electronic engines, basically in 92, 93, by 95, most everything was electronic. They all went to steel pistons and they lowered the RPM and basically kept the same gear ratio. So when you lowered the RPM, they needed speed. So they made a double overdrive versus a single overdrive. If you have an older truck with a four and a quarter B or a big cam Cummins, they were all single overdrives. So it's when the electronic engines came on is when we started to see the double overs. And that was to compensate for a truck with a steel piston or an engine with a steel piston that was capable of running at lower RPMs without boring holes down through them. Very interesting. I, I would have swore it was a single overdrive. I'm glad I didn't get no truck stock truck stop argument about it because i wouldn't know what i was talking about pretty good information all hey, right. thanks a lot that's all i need you're welcome thanks for the call bruce speaking of uh you know gearing and and the changes we've seen over the years you know you and i have been talking about 264s for a very very long time and people thought we were crazy it's too high of a gear ratio i had a call over the weekend um a new, uh, now I don't remember what kind of truck it was, uh, but a brand new 2018 all decked out with six by two. Um, oh no, I know what it was. It was the um, uh, International's new super truck. Their, their project truck for fuel economy that they claimed they got 13 miles to the gallon out of a test run. It had all kinds of, you know, cool technology on it, but it had a 1.91 gear ratio. Wow. wow. 1.91. <laughs> yeah, at, at 65 miles an hour, they were at 1,000 RPM, and that's where they were running it. What engine? Um, well, I'd have to go back and look. What engine? Maybe it wasn't internet. Uh, you know, let me go look. while I'll take a call, and I'll go back and look, because... I had all the details here on the weekend, and now my head's going about 10 other things. So let's go to Nebraska. Charlie, your turn. You get started. I'll look up the uh, the rest of the specs on that truck. Go ahead. How are you doing today, Kevin, and the men from Pittsburgh Tower? I've got a cooling problem. It's, uh, at first, I thought it was a thermostat because it was blowing out the overflow. So I had Wait, what, what, truck, what, what, what truck, what engine, okay. what year, and how many miles? It's, it's an 07 Freightliner Columbia with the Detroit 6014 liter EGR. Please don't hit me. Uh, the engine has 355000 on a Detroit rebuild. Okay. And have you put in, huh, do you have a new radiator in it? 
I had a new radiator installed 17 months ago, so it's not under warranty. The problem that I'm running into is I'm losing coolant on the right side of the motor. Uh, it's, it's hitting the motor from the water pump back. It does not leak when the motor's idling. It does not leak overnight. It does not lose all of its pressure overnight. I can shut the truck off for eight hours, and I have to be careful taking the cap off because there's still pressure in the system. Not as much as a new one had, because I put the old cap back on to relieve some of the pressure. The cap that was on here that was allowing it to blow out over the, uh, out the overflow, I'd replace it with a new one. But when it leaks, when I see the water dripping, it's coming down the frame rail. But there's no signs of it on the fan shroud or the front of the, uh, the lower radiator hose where the fan will be blowing it back on there. Can it, do you think it's coming from the EGR cooler? That, that's a possibility. Uh, I thought about on. that. I thought about that, but how would that put it on the inner part, on the uh, inside of the frame rail? How, how would that the, put it coming back to frame rail? On your coolant system, you should have a hose that comes off somewhere near the cap that's used to relieve the extra pressure. And it should, a lot of times that, that hose, if there's a, a blown head gasket, like which the bubble test would show, that, that that hose could be tucked somewhere along the frame rail. Okay. So there so is a like coolant hose along the frame rail? It, it could, the overflow for the tanks could be along the frame rail, depending on where someone tucked it away at. Well, the overflow for the tank is on the driver's side of the motor at the firewall, and my leak's on the passenger side of the motor, and between the radiator and the water pump. What's, is this, but that not lose the pressure? Are we going to be able to, is it going to be able to be found with the pressure test or are they actually going to have to put this truck on the dyno and make it work to find the leak? Well, then the dyno would certainly help. Uh, you could pressurize the system. Maybe it's one of your heater hoses going to the cab or going to the bunk or one of the heater, the valves on the heater hose. Or are they back in and not on the frame rail? They're back in. They're back in enough. This is, this is in the front of the motor. This one's in the front of the motor. Now the question I want to ask, and maybe I don't know if Bruce can answer it or Ethan or which one of you, is the lower radiator hose, and on this particular one, there's another hose that's coming off a small fitting. It looks like it might. Does the transmission quarter lines run alongside the oil pan or underneath the oil pan going back? 
Where, uh, where does the train make its corner line? No, it's a, it's a 10 speed. 10 speed overdrive that once I get the money, it's going to be a 13 double over. Yeah, I don't think you have a transmission cooler on that. If you do, it's usually mounted up above the transmission and towards the rear, actually right above the first universal joint, unless they've moved it. Okay, because I know that they replaced line, coolant lines when they rebuilt this. They replaced the coolant lines going back to the transmission. I'm just wondering, is them two lines supposed to be uh, touching each other? And if the water pump's not turning at full capacity, would it be a possibility that's where my leak's at? And spraying out towards the frame, and the fans blowing the back over the engine. Yeah, keep in so mind, I don't know if a lot of water pumps have a weep hole in them in case the seal starts to leak. And then if the steel yeah. leaks, it, it puts coal uh, out the weep hole. Yeah, which my weep, unless it's different on the water pump they put on, that weep hole was at the bottom and it would leak while the truck was idling. This one won't leak while the truck's idling. It won't it won't leak with the truck shut off. The only time it leaks is when I'm going down the road and the harder I push it on a hill, the more it shall leak. Can you get into our shop and get on the dyno? Uh not gonna be able to get it done this trip. Well, I do want to come see you all because I want some of your toys, but I got to get some extra money to come get them. I want well, to pay the old system, and I want Dorothy. I want Dorothy hanging on Herbie. <laughs> that's why they make credit cards. <laughs> you can have it now. Anyway, uh, plan on get get on our schedule and uh, plan a load to come to Western Pennsylvania. Let's get it on the dyno and find a sleep. There you go. The music's playing. We've got to get to a break. We're going to come back and get to more of your calls and questions. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and Ethan and Pete with me. Hey, Bruce, some of the, the details on that super truck. Um, they It's got the Navistar N13 engine in it. Um, I, I am not familiar with that engine at all. I don't know if it's just a continuation of the old Max Force or something. Weren't they building their engines on the... Um, the Cummins block. I know the Max Force was not. Um, okay. 
Cummins and International over the years has had a wonderful working relationship. So would the 13 liter be based off of a Cummins? I don't know. I yeah, can't I can't. It, that. Yeah, it, the interesting thing, you know, when I read these articles online, you know, and you have comments after the article, I ran into multiple comments from international technicians that said they hate the fact that international keeps trying to build engines because they're a disaster. Um, so that's not a good sign. But this engine did have some pretty interesting technology on it. Um, they took it's got a 48 volt um, electrical system with 48 volt uh, solar. They put the air conditioning compressor and um, the fans all on electric. They took the water pump off the engine and put it on electric. And they claim um, their their cooling system is pressurized quite a bit more. And because they're running an electric water pump, they can speed up the pump when there's more demand and, and cool without pulling any more horsepower off the engine. And that was one of the ways that they, they claimed that they were running this test drive was in 100 degree weather and the fan never came on. Interesting. I bet we could build a water pump like that. Ethan, I, I think we could build that if, if it would turn out to be a great fuel mileage saver. I, I think we could do that. Yeah, you know, they talked about how much horsepower the fan pulls off the engine and, you know, just electric fans aren't all that efficient. And I'd never thought about the water pump, but that's their technology that they're using here is uh, an electrical driven water pump so that they can vary the speed based on the demand. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all we'll, right. we'll, we'll keep that in mind. Yeah. Oh, you know, maybe Ethan or Pete wanted to comment there, but I forgot to press the button. Guys, did you have anything? Uh, just I, like the, the truth is there, the fan does draw a lot of horsepower. You know, we, we see it on the dyno all the time. You know, we, we typically try to do the runs without the fan on. Um, so we'll run the fan before we start the pool to keep the, you know, everything down to operating the lower end of the operating temp. Um, Anywhere from, I don't know, 25 to 55 horsepower was the biggest draw at the wheels I've seen on a fan. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah pretty, pretty interesting technology. So, you know, this truck will never see the light of day, but, you know, we can learn from some of the technologies and come up with some ideas. So, uh, unfortunately, Why Bruce, won't it? Oh, they just said that this thing will never see production. Not, not the way it is. I, I don't know why. Maybe some uh, of these technologies are too expensive. I, I don't know. But they clearly said this truck will never see the light of day. But, you know, we may see some of the technologies. This this particular truck uh, costs $7 million to build. Wow. Well, yeah, but here's the problem. They, they take their engineering time and they put a high, high value on that. That's why yeah. we'll never be wealthy at Pittsburgh Bauer because we don't do stuff like that. You know? Yeah. Well, he, here's the thing. This is all government money. This program drives me crazy. This is $300 million of government money. 
that gets handed out to a couple of companies so they can go develop this kind of stuff. I, I think that's a horrible idea all the way around. Let private enterprise yeah, develop technologies without all this government money. We, uh, we've asked for a few million twice to build the first electric truck and uh, the government looks at a small company of 32 people and they probably just laugh at us. And, you know, we know we could do it, but they, they won't help. So, yeah, now I, I've been a, uh, a, a critic of this program since it started back in 2010 and they just keep blowing money as far as I can tell. Let's go to Marilyn. Bob, welcome to the program. Thank you, guys. Well, this question is kind of for Ethan. I was in there uh, about three weeks ago and you reprogrammed my T600. And the one thing I forgot to mention when I was there was the fact that with the stock Cummins program, I was doing a little bit of smoking. And now I'm very sluggish, very sluggish, more than before, uh, coming off the low side of the gears. And she doesn't really wake up until about sixth or seventh gear. Um, the other thing is, is that every once in a while, when you you know you have to get into it, you go to get into it, and it, I don't want to say it coughs; it kind of chugs, if you know what I mean. Is that is this a possibility of a sensor that's carboned up from the previous programming? It, it there it's possible. I'd also want to make sure that the turbocharger is performing correctly. Um, the trucks shouldn't pr smoke at all whenever they're you know the new the new ISX is there. They shouldn't smoke at all whenever they're you know they're accelerating. Um, and the fact yep. that it, it was smoking beforehand is telling me that something was off before we did our program. Um, and it sounds like it made that 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 problem a little bit worse because you know we obviously added a little bit more fuel. So we'd have to take a look there. I would want to make sure the turbocharger is performing as it as it should be, and that all the sensors are reading correctly. Now, can you do that remotely, or do you need me to come down there? Oh, we could do it either. Okay. Um, yeah, my fuel mileage also is, is dropped too, and went down to about five point two five. Yeah, no, that's a sign that something's not not quite reading right there. Um, We'll have to make sure, you know, seeing the truck in person is always the best way. But, yeah, if you can swing by a, a, a dealer there, of one of our tuning uh, remote tuners, we'll be able to take a look and make sure that all the sensors are within their range. Uh, the nice part is when we run it on the dyno, we can actually see it, you know, the, dynamically watch it change throughout the range as it's running, too, not just okay. sitting there at an idle. Right. Hey, Ethan, we're uh, coming up on the end of the show. I wanted to run uh, another piece of the super truck by you and see what you think of this. So it's got, uh, it says it harvests energy through an engine mounted 15 kilowatt generator, generator that powers a bank of 48 volt batteries. Those are linked with a three voltage bus for specific purposes. A 48-volt bus for charging and energy storage, a 12-volt bus that powers lights, radio, and accessories, and a 24-volt starting system using a supercapacitor and a 24-volt cranking motor. So supercapacitor, 
they're using the same technology we've been recommending for many years now with the Maxwell. What do you think of that electrical system? So that's interesting. I've never quite seen a system that when you run a generator off of an engine be more efficient than running it off the engine itself. That's an interesting setup. They, they tried that back in the 90s. Cat put together an engine that had no engine-driven components. They pulled everything off the engine and ran it electrical instead, and it never really went anywhere. So I'm, I'm wondering if they have some new technology that's going to make it more efficient. It does have something. Now, have any of you guys ever driven one of these new cars? that shut off at the stop sign or the stop light or any time you come to a stop, they shut off? Yeah, they have that Every rental stop. cart. <laughs> Every rental cart today, and it's very annoying. I, I, I have a loner right now because my car's in the shop, and if this were my car and I couldn't turn that feature off, I would get rid of it. It makes me crazy. They have it on this truck. I agree with that. Yeah. I don't like it. The first time I ever saw it, I came up to a stop sign. I thought the car had stalled. Everybody thinks that. Yeah. The, the other thing is I pull in my driveway. I, my foot's on the brake. I come to a stop. And just as I'm getting ready to turn the button off, because it doesn't even have a key anymore, to turn the button to the engine off, I shut it off. And it, then when I let my foot off the brake, it restarts itself again. I, it just, the whole thing makes me crazy. Well, that was my rant. Kevin. And uh, Bruce, you got 30 seconds. I bought a used Audi and it had that feature and I was able to turn it off. But all the rental cars we get more out of town, they all have that. And years ago, the U.S. Army did a study, and it said 95% of the wear comes from startup. Why do you want to start up every time you take your foot off the throttle with a stop sign or a red light? Yeah. See, seems like a crazy technology. We'll, uh, we'll talk about it more next time. Thanks to the guys from Pittsburgh Power, Bruce and Ethan and Pete, for doing the heavy lifting around here. We'll see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you back here tomorrow for the Power Hour. Thanks for tuning in to the Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.